Welcome to Groundwater Canada, the podcast, where we talk about issues of interest to the groundwater industry. Groundwater Canada is a national trade publication for water well, geotechnical and environmental drillers, pump installers, scientists, engineers, product suppliers, and others whose work relates to groundwater. Hi, and welcome to Groundwater Canada, the podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Cross, editor of Groundwater Canada magazine. Thanks for joining us from your office, truck, or in the field, wherever you may be. We're glad you've tuned in. Our podcast is brought to you by Canadian Pipe and Pump Supply, Inc. We manufacture and supply a full complement of drilling, environmental, and geotechnical products that make it easy for our customers to one-stop shop at our four locations in Ontario. We enhance our products with technical support and service tailored to your needs. This is the second of three podcasts exploring the footprint left during drilling for domestic water wells or dewatering wells, developments in sustainability, and a discussion of what the groundwater industry can do to reduce its impact on the environment. In episode one, we shared results of an industry survey we did and talked about what legislation is underway federally and in Ontario, just as an example of one of the provinces. Today, we have a very special guest. We'll discuss how the regulations work for industrial recycling versus residential recycling and many other matters pertaining to our footprint on the worksite. My co-host today is Mike Hare, Sales and Marketing Manager for Canadian Pipe and Pump Supply, Inc., well-known in our industry as CanPipe. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Colleen. Glad to be here. Mike and I are joined by Joanne St. Godard, Executive Director of the Circular Innovation Council. Council members believe society must minimize its impact on the environment by eliminating waste. Joanne will help us sort out regulations and recycling as they relate to the groundwater industry. So good morning, Joanne. Hi there. Can you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day role is? Sure, happy to. Um, first of all, thanks very much for hosting us on these uh, informative podcasts. Our organization has been around for about four decades. We were formerly actually called the Recycling Council of Ontario. And as the name suggests, we were uh, and we continue to be an advocate and uh, a market support to increase uh, recycling as an industry and as a practice um, in all facets, I suppose, of industry and, and living. And we most uh, recently in June of 2020 actually expanded our mandate nationally from being the Recycling Council of Ontario, just in Ontario. We are now a national not-for-profit organization. And as the name suggests, we are moving more broadly to support beyond recycling into expansion and acceleration of Canada's economy towards circularity from a linear economy to a circular economy. And we can talk about that in the the context of the podcast. Uh, But really, our job is to support public and private organizations who are on board and recognize the benefits of a circular economy versus a linear. And we really try to support market interventions to accelerate that. So whether it be regulatory pushes or market pulls or opportunities, we're really about finding market interventions to shift us towards circularity. The whole idea of of circularity is to preserve resources, give them more value, and to integrate environmental benefit and social equity as we create the businesses, the markets that we want in a Canadian context that deliver on these broader environmental and social goals, as well as economic opportunity. So that's a very high level description of of what we do as it relates to market interventions. And the industry that you're working in and that you're speaking to today is a really critical part of that. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the plastic circular economy means? 
Yeah, it's an important question these days. It's really unprecedented the amount of attention that's being paid on a global basis to plastics as a material and, of course, plastic waste and it and all of the consequences of it. You know, plastics is a derivative of fossil fuels, and we all know that we need to curb our use of fossil fuels as it relates to mitigating climate change and reducing our, our dependency on that and finding alternatives. So, you know, from a production and extraction pr- perspective, we need to curb our use and there therefore find alternatives. And part of those alternatives uh, may be uh, different material compositions. It may be also actually finding ways to reintegrate used plastics, or as we say in the industry, post-consume plastic back into remanufacturing cycles in order to give it more value and more life. So that really in a nutshell describes what we mean by transitioning from a linear plastics economy to a circular plastics economy, using less, consuming better, consuming smarter, and then reintegrating it back into production cycles. And those principles remain intact, whether we're talking about the construction industry, the well water industry, or even the packaging that we're used, uh, that we think about when you think about plastics. But we're seeing too much of it in our environment, in our land, in our water. And it has a pretty significant impact as we continue to extract oil uh, and the chemicals needed in order to uh, create plastic. So it's got a pretty significant impact. Yeah, thank you. Joanne, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Hopefully we get a good, clear message out to our listeners. Uh, So Joanne, can you provide an overview of the plastic circular economy in Canada, and in particular, where PVC is at? Yeah, it's really, uh, it's an important question to differentiate the plastics economy as it relates to the different resins of plastics, because they all behave differently in the marketplace. They all have their different applications and they show up differently in our marketplace and in the products and services that we commonly use for plastics. And in fact, that extends to how they are managed or behave in end of life or recycling instances. So there are seven different plastic resin types. And so you can see the the ubiquitous use of plastics. It's everywhere and its characteristics are quite different, whether we're talking about rigid plastics that we think about when you're talking about a beverage container or your laundry detergent container, right through to a plastic bag where it's more flexible and everything in between. So those seven different plastic resin types have different properties. And again, their market realities are quite different. PVC has specific applications, and I know that it's very specific in your industry and used often. And unfortunately, it doesn't have a lot of recycling applications at the moment. We do know that there are some like garden hoses, for an example, some household products that are very familiar that would like to get more PVC. But there are just recently by way of interest, uh, some golden rules, as they call it, put out by the packaging industry that warn against the use or, or encourage less use of PVC in packaging as it relates to food application. So I think what's important as we talk about PVC in a plastics economy is where it's best used. And we are assuming in the construction and well industry that in fact, PVC has great qualities for lots of reasons. It's lightweight, it's probably impermeable, it's probably very flexible in its application, but we need to make sure that we are not seeing it end up in landfill. So if we think that in other applications, less PVC plastics will be used, it compels us to make sure that where we do use it, we can actually manage it better 
and collect it in a way that has it put back into production cycles. For those that missed the first podcast, this is kind of the road we were going down when we started relative to talking about PVC recycling. And Joanne, you know, hit the nail saying that it's really not a lot of rigid PVC recycling in our sector. That is very popular right now. So Campipe took the other approach that we wanted to, if we couldn't deal with the PVC right away, then the single-use plastic is another part of, of what we want to address in this podcast. So again, just kind of going back to where we were on the first podcast for our listeners on why we were going down this road. Thanks again, Joanne, for that comment. You're welcome. Thanks for the reminder, Mike. And Joanne, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about regulations, uh, like a little overview of how waste recycling resources are regulated and how the reality of this affects the drilling industry. So the question of regulations is an important one, and it's really important for the listeners to understand that the different levels of government have different responsibilities as it relates to how they address or affect waste and plastics in particular. Municipalities have the job of operationalizing diversion programs. So they're uh, they're the ones that are collecting our waste and recycling at the end of our curb or driveway, or they're the ones that are regulating, in some cases across Canada, depots that are collecting different materials and 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 uh, um, residents, um, you know, drive to in order to take the recyclables, but their scope of responsibility really just starts and ends with the resident. So where we live, there are very limited regulations that affect where we work in the industrial sector. And you will well know that if you work in the in the well and water industry, that there's very few waste related regulations that compel us to separate and to find recycling applications or solutions for construction construction and demolition waste in particular. The provinces are actually the linchpin, if you will. They are central to developing regulation. They are responsible for regulations like producer responsibility that transfer the financial and operational responsibility of waste that's created back to the manufacturers or brand holders that sell the products onto the marketplace. So those are provincial specific regulations. And most recently, and and really this is a comment globally, federal governments or national governments are getting involved on in, in regulating waste. And you're seeing that in spades with the Canadian government who are now introducing or have uh, drafted directives and discussion papers around what policies will be the most effective at reorganizing and recognizing uh, plastics as a material and creating an, a marketplace where plastics are better valued and are actually reduced in terms of its consumption. But but also that which is used and created. How do we get it back in those recycling or remanufacturing systems that that give us better designed products as well and to reduce the impact not only as it relates to waste, but also greenhouse gases as well. So we're seeing a new interest at the federal level as well. Great, thank you. So Joanna, another question I'd like to pose is there are instances when contractors require vendors or the suppliers to leave a zero footprint on the worksite, but they don't necessarily verify that materials collected on site are in fact recycled. How can that be addressed? Yeah, it's a really important question. And I think, um, you know, it's really incumbent on the purveyor of the service, the purveyor of the vendor and supplier to make all of their contractors and suppliers and vendors accountable for the requirements and the and the specifications, I guess, of a work site. So if you're a, a contractor, a building manager, or a project manager, and you extend and you should extend these responsibilities to your vendors and suppliers and contractors to ensure that you're achieving zero waste 
place that in fact you follow through and you have full transparency that in fact when the materials are collected and managed on site that they actually reach a recycling facility and the materials are directed back into again these reproduction or remanufacturing cycles and not in fact landfilled. So right now there's no regulatory backstop to preventing that from happening so it's really incumbent on the project manager or the purveyor of the service to follow through to what we call final disposition so that you have full transparency to ensure in fact that those promises those claims those commitments are actually followed through and the materials are are put back into recycling systems great thanks joanne it is important because we know you know we've heard from some of our customers that they've been doing those type of programs and there really hasn't been that oversight they've taken them from site and they've gone back to the to the shop and they you know get thrown in a landfill because there isn't any recycling opportunities for the particular I'll say contractor so I think that is an important question that we asked um, because I think it does pertain very much with projects going on especially in uh, GTA area yeah, it's really a function of procurement. We don't want to put more pressure and more responsibility on project managers. But, you know, if, if they're the ones that are making the commitments and that really want to claim zero waste, they really have to make sure that they follow through on these contractors. And I would say, because it is a procurement function, that there should be zero tolerance and there should be monetary fines or financial penalties associated with those vendors and suppliers who really aren't following through. And, and perhaps, you know, word gets around in the industry. I know you're probably large industry, but small in some instances. And I think vendors and suppliers really count on their reputation. And they, you know, there's a lot of word of mouth, I'm sure. So, you know, I think that uh, this is an activity that has to be taken seriously. And I, and I do think that there should be a zero tolerance and a lot of transparency around, around those commitments. Okay, great. Thanks, Joanne. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure that's going to give listeners a lot to think about there. They have a real role here. Can you tell us a little bit more about what policy directives are being proposed by the federal government that affect plastic and plastic waste and how they affect that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's really two sort of focuses, I suppose, at the federal level. One is the reduction of use of, in particular, single-use plastics. So they have actually listed a few. These are commonly what we're hearing from or what we're seeing in other jurisdictions, in particular Europe as well. And we think about, you know, straws and six-pack rings on beverage containers, plastic bags. So these are things that, you know, really at the end of the day, for the most part, have alternatives. These alternatives are, are environmentally preferred. And so we're trying to encourage, discourage, I guess, the production of them, but encourage a different way to consume them and use them. So there's the plastic bans on certain one-way single-use materials and products that, again, have these alternative options for consumers and producers. The other, I think, most important uh, approach and maybe most applicable in your um, industry's perspective is the use of consumed or recycled material in plastic production. And that is, in my opinion, one of the most effective and important policies that the government could come up with as it relates to or could intervene with as it relates to accelerating a circular economy for plastics because it inherently drives the value of plastic discards that maybe at this point in time, the market doesn't value. It tells the market you need to create the demand by producing and using post-consumer cycle content in the production of your products. And so you need to go source that demand. And so what that does is increase the value and the demand for the plastic discards that we generate, whether it be in our blue boxes or whether it be on the construction 
construction or, or well drilling site. Now those plastics have a value uh, where previously they didn't. And that will really shove, I guess, uh, or accelerate um, our linear to a circular economy as it relates to plastics and really will drive the right market behaviors and the right consumer and producer behaviors around that material. So increasing the use of consumed recycled content in plastic products and packaging is one of the most important measures that the federal government is notionally exploring at the moment. One of the policy proposals at a federal level is to standardize those amongst provinces and territories. And, and that actually equalizes the responsibility across the nation, but also builds a common platform for us to track plastic products and plastic waste. And it really helps us to measure the impact as a nation of these policy interventions. So standardizing producer responsibility regulations creates a level playing field for industry as well. So the rules are the same irrespective of what province or territory you do business in. Okay, great. Thanks, Joanna. I, I appreciate that part of information. Um, can you tell me what industry initiatives or innovations that you're, you're witnessing right now? Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about how industry is responding to this global interest in plastic waste and, and the interest of reducing it, um, not only its consumption, but its production and waste as well. We're seeing some interesting, I would say, partnerships between unlikely industries. I'll give one example. It's not well water and, and or construction, but we just uh, ha- had an interesting discussion with Lego. Everybody knows and loves Lego. It's one of the most durable toys that has lasted the decades. And of course, it's got a special recipe that only Lego knows about. And because it's created from a special recipe, they want to be able to ensure that none of their Lego go to landfill, but they actually need that Lego to reproduce new recycled Lego. So they are creating new opportunities and new programs like replay in order to ensure that, you know, when, when sons and daughters are finished with playing Lego and it's sitting in closets that it gets back into their production cycles, but because they use a very specific plastic in order for them to find recycled content, they have to partner with other industries that use that same plastic. And we've most recently heard about a partnership between them and HP. HP globally and and computer uh, produces printers and computers, and they in fact use the same type of plastic resin. So there is discussions amongst them as as an unlikely partnership, two different industries, two different segments of the market, two different demographics, but they are working together because they share the same plastic resin type. So some interesting and innovative partnerships. You're also seeing some really interesting commitments across brands and industries who are interested in reducing their use of primary or virgin plastics and trying to find ways to loop back in the plastics products that they're creating, or again, finding other plastic discards out there that can be used for feedstocks into their production cycle to reduce the use of virgin material. um, and, And of course, the benefits of reducing that impact but then also diverting waste back into their production cycle. It's not only an environmental benefit, but there's an economic benefit if you can if you can derive value from plastic waste that is devalued and put into disposal streams and in fact augment or supplant your use of primary bringing your costs down. What advice do you have for contractors wanting to reduce their carbon plastic footprint? first thing I would say is congratulations. If this is something that that you are aware of and that you are motivated to examine and, and to affect, 
we applaud you, we want to support you. You know, I think the first thing you have to do is take stock of where you're creating or where you may be overusing or misusing the products or materials that are common to your job site. You want to also take note of where you are creating waste that isn't being recycled. So, you know, I know it sounds oversimplified, but just being aware of, of how you're using materials and products and where they're ending up at the end of, of the use or other construction process is really the first step in doing so. You know, and I think you also uh, want to start looking around to find out, is there opportunities for, for reuse? Do I have to be using single-use or one-time use equipment or materials? Is there a way for me to reuse the same product over and over? Again, it's a cost reduction measure that presents a really important opportunity to reduce waste. So the reuse element is one of them. And then if, if there really isn't an opportunity to, to reuse materials or products on site, can you find a recycling solution and partner with them and, and the vendors and suppliers that you procure and employ in your site? Can you bring them together to ensure that you're redirecting whatever you're creating on site back to recycling applications? And I guess tracking that so that you can take credit for the waste that you're affecting and diverting but also the greenhouse gas emissions that you may be avoiding as a result to the reuse or recycling applications. And telling your projects where you are applying to or where you are tendering to that this is part of your business. This is vertically integrated into the business approach that you take. You take this very seriously. And then it really adds value to the project. You know, not to be shy about, you know, that, that activity, not to be coy about it, to be overt about it and to celebrate that and to tell that to your vendors, your suppliers and your customers so that they know that this is a value add and this is an important part of your business model. Great advice, Joanne. Thanks. I'm wondering uh, if you could tell our listeners where we can find the latest and greatest information on plastic recycling. Yeah, we have a couple of resources that we're more than happy to share with. We've got a, a website, a storefront, as we call it, called uh, plasticactioncenter.ca. Um, and that has everything from sort of 101, what is plastic and what are the different plastic resins. And it also, we curate the global news around the world in terms of what's advancing in technology and recycling applications. Uh, what are brand holders and industry commitments and how are they tracking towards those commitments? And in fact, a resource and a directory of recyclers that uh, that is local and global as well. So that I think it's a one-stop shop. That's what we mean it to be. So plasticactioncenter.ca. And of course, uh, get in touch with us. I encourage all of your listeners and your industry members to call us and to chat to us about what their challenges and barriers are. And of course, we're all ears. And, and again, we're here to support as a resource organization to uh, create solutions. Great information there. Mike, did you have any other questions? Well, I just, I, you know, I just had some outside of the, you know, the COVID effect on recycling. Uh, I know we had the question in here about a surcharge. So I'm just curious. I don't know if this fits in, but Joanne, have you heard any uh, rumblings about commercial single use surcharge? I haven't heard specifically about commercial use. I know that we've seen it in things like plastic bags, where you go to a retailer and they charge you for the use of a plastic bag. And of course, if you bring your own bag or reusable bag, it's free. So there are those kinds of indicators. Um, you know, uh, putting a price on, on the behavior that we don't want from consumers is a really effective way to reduce our consumption. One thing we have seen is things like deposit return as a tool. So, um, you know, you're seeing it in your beer bottles and your wine bottles, you pay a deposit and then you get that deposit back when you return your glass container. There are lots of discussions around, could we apply that principle, that practice to 
more durable goods, more plastic goods. So I think that that's a really important policy that we want to explore in this industry. It's quite innovative and it's a little different than the single use sort of levy, if you will. We are always advocating as an organization to have a disposal levy to just try to discourage landfill and to make disposal more expensive than recycling. So we'll continue to do that. Another really impactful market policy intervention that we want governments to have the courage to bring forward in order to to really create the discovery in cost. We don't want disposal to be cheap. We want the recycling solutions to be cheaper than disposal. So there's lots of monetary levies or instruments that can be used to incent the right behavior. We'd love the levy to be applied at single use products, no doubt, and irrespective of whether they're a package or a product. So yeah, so I guess my other question was, so we've had this change as far as the recycling initiative federally, provincially, municipally. With the onset after effects of COVID, has it kind of derailed any of the initiatives because we're dealing with all this, I don't want to use the word garbage, but it is whether it can be recycled or not, but everything that's involved around your PPE with COVID, has that kind of have the, you know, the government lost focus on the recycling plans or is it just one of the streams they have to deal with? No, I don't think they've lost focus. In fact, I think it's heightened all our focus. And there's been certainly a change. There's been more created at home because we're all living at home and working at home than there has been in in our workplaces. So we're seeing sort of a repositioning, I guess, of the materials and an uptick in the materials that are generated in homes. There's no doubt about that. I think because we're dealing with a virus and a contagious one at that, that there there is some sensitivity around multi-use. So we did go backwards in things like refillable cups and reusable bags at the point of sale at the grocery store and at our coffee shop. But I think those practices are really important to people. And you're already seeing that grocery stores are now allowing reusable bags. And I think consumers and Canadians in particular have heightened awareness around, around plastics use, and they really want to continue to, to reduce their consumption. And I think governments are no different. I think governments, because of PPE generations, the speed at which we procured it, they're now catching up to try to find solutions for it. It's just heightened our awareness around the issue. The global supply chain interruptions that were caused by COVID have dramatically affected the demand for recyclable material. And in some cases, municipalities in particular and the waste industry had to find storage solutions for materials until production was kickstarted again and that demand for recycled material kicked in. So we did have some disposal and some storage activities happening as a result of a slowdown in production that was caused by COVID. I think it's just heightened our awareness. I don't think we'll go backwards. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both, Joanne and Mike, for joining us. So we really appreciate you taking time to talk about these issues. Uh, They're important and it's all about what we leave behind when the work is done and how we can reconfigure this process by reducing, reusing, recycle those three R's. I've been speaking with Mike Hare, Sales and Marketing Manager at Canadian Pipe and Pump Supply, and Joanne St. Godard, Executive Director of the Circular Innovation Council. Congratulations on the podcast. It's an important subject, and thank you for the listeners who have stayed with us. Thank you. I think some eyes will be opened with this podcast, and hopefully we'll generate some Creative solutions from folks out there in the groundwater industry, contractors, scientists, suppliers. Uh, We do want to hear from you. Any ideas you have that are inspired by this podcast or what you're experiencing on the worksite? This is the second in a series of three podcasts looking at reducing our footprint during drilling and dewatering work. Watch this channel for episode three when we'll talk with contractors in the groundwater industry as we think about the next steps toward reducing our carbon footprint. 
I just want to tell our listeners that in Groundwater Canada magazine for 2022, we have in the works a page that outlines environmental news and the latest updates on what's going on with uh, the environment and how that will affect you folks, the readers, specifically contractors, but the industry as a whole. And uh, CanPipe is helping bring that to you. So look forward to that next year. And I hope we get some good discussions going. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Groundwater Canada, the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with others in the industry and let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes.